0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and
1: more.
2: G'day, welcome to PM. I'm David Lipson coming to you from Gadigal land in Sydney. Tonight, the man dubbed Australia's most notorious terrorist has been freed from prison. Could the government have done more to keep Abdul Nasser Ben Bricker locked up? Also, the $2,000 worth of shares in a mining company that cost the Northern Territory's chief minister her job, and thousands remain without power, and many roads are still cut off. The rescue and recovery mission continues in far north Queensland after record-breaking floods.
3: Main thing is that I just don't think people ever imagined that they'd have to have supplied up for what will end up being a couple of weeks. We're generally not, as a society, geared up to that any longer, I think it's going to take a lot of people by surprise.
2: Thanks for your company. Abdul Nasser Ben Bricker, the Muslim cleric convicted of leading a terrorist cell in Melbourne, is tonight free from prison after serving 18 years behind bars. Ben Bricker was sentenced over plots to commit attacks at a number of high-profile events and locations. And just three years ago, a Victorian court extended his detention finding he still posed an unacceptable risk to the community. He will be subjected to strict supervision, including an electronic monitoring device and a curfew. The federal opposition says the government should, though, have applied to keep him locked up for longer. But the Attorney-General insists it wasn't possible. Samantha Donovan explains.
0: Abdulnesa Ben-Brika served a 15-year sentence in Victoria after being found guilty in 2009 of leading a terror cell planning attacks in Australia. He's been kept in jail for an additional three years on what's known as a continuing detention order because the Commonwealth and the court agreed he still posed a risk to the community. In October, his Australian citizenship was restored after he won a High Court case. And today, Victorian Supreme Court Judge Elizabeth Hollingworth ruled he should be released into the community on what's known as an extended supervision order for one year. The acting opposition leader, Susan Lee, says the government should have kept Ben Breaker locked up.
4: This Attorney General and this Home Affairs Minister on this subject and community safety have been a disaster, why have there not been applications for preventative detention?
0: In a written statement, the Attorney-General Mark Dreyfus said he'd applied for the extended supervision order for Ben Breaker for the maximum period of three years and that application was made on the advice of all operational agencies including the Australian Federal Police. Mr Dreyfus said the Supreme Court found this morning the risk posed by Ben Breker had reduced and that a continuing detention order wasn't supported by the evidence and could no longer be ordered by the court. Accordingly, he said the application for an extended supervision order was the strongest possible action available under the law. The Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, is also emphasising the decision was made by the court, not the government.
5: Well, it's a matter of the law. It's not a matter of my view, it's a matter of the law and uh, we have put in place the strongest possible recommendations. Uh, to ensure community safety.
0: Dr John Coyne is the head of the Counter-Terrorism Centre at the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. He's surprised the federal government didn't apply for a continuing detention order for Ben Breaker.
6: He played a leadership and a motivational role uh, to uh, the group that was plotting to attack and kill Australians for simply being Australians. And in April of last year, he was still assessed as being a high-risk offender. The latest risk assessment says that he's a low and medium risk. Um, And as a result of that, I'm still not convinced that um, over such a short period of time after spending so long in detention, that uh, his motivation towards violent extremism has changed.
0: In ordering Ben Breaker's release today, Justice Hollingworth criticised both the current government and the former coalition government and then Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton for failing to provide the court with documents relating to assessments of Ben Breaker in a timely way. The Attorney-General Mark Dreyfus points out the court said Mr Dutton engaged in a serious breach of the criminal code by withholding evidence from Ben Brica and the court in 2020. Susan Lee was asked if the opposition takes any responsibility for Ben
4: Breker's release. The Labor government should deal with the situation it faces, which is a convicted terrorist is behind bars. And they should have done everything that they could possibly do to keep him behind bars. They have not done that.
0: Greg Barton is a professor of global Islamic politics at Deakin University. He isn't surprised Ben Breaker is being released into the community.
6: He served a full 15 years, was given an extra three years of continuing detention order. Um, Options were exhausted in terms of continuing that detention. Uh, He's out in supervision. Uh, it's, It's what we'd expect.
0: He's critical of the opposition's attempts to politicise Ben Bricker's release.
6: So we had a quite separate High Court decision to uh, overturn what was effectively indefinite detention of people who um, would have been deported if there was a country that would take them back. Uh, That's been conflated with the Ben Bricker case. Of course, the previous government had stripped his citizenship and and he contested that through his legal team and had his Australian citizenship reinstated. Uh, But these are two separate things. Uh, But in the midst of this, a common theme, which is understandable for reasons of politics, but actually doesn't bear the... the, You know, is not supported by the facts. The case is that the government is being soft and it should do something more. Well, it doesn't have anything more that it can do. The law is the law. Um, It can use every avenue in the law, which it's doing, uh, but it doesn't matter who's in government, you've got to follow the law. So the political rhetoric that somehow there's a magic wand that you can make all the dangerous people stay out of our way and keep us safe is is unrealistic.
0: It appears the federal government may appeal the decision to impose the extended supervision order on Ben Breaker for only one year and without all the conditions the government had requested. The Attorney-General says the government will consider the court's reasons before determining the next steps.
2: That report from Samantha Donovan and Tamara Clark. As the weather clears in Queensland's far north, emergency services have finally gained access to some of the communities left isolated by floodwater. Australian Defence Force helicopters are supporting emergency services to evacuate around 300 people from the community of Woodjil Woodjil. But thousands remain without power and many roads are still cut as damage assessments begin. Elizabeth Cramsey reports.
7: Sitting in a home surrounded by floodwaters, help arrives for an elderly Cairns resident.
8: Knock, knock. Hi, I'm Baden. I'm from the Cairns Police. I'll give you a hand to get you out of here, OK?
7: There are similar scenes right across the far north where crews are finally able to access isolated communities. In Woodjil Woodjil, ADF Chinooks have started evacuating people to Cooktown. For those waiting for power to be restored, it could be a lengthy wait. Nikki Swan has lived north of the Daintree River for more than two decades. She says not everyone is prepared.
3: Personally, yes, but the main thing is that I just don't think people ever imagine that they'd have to have supplied up for what will end up being a couple of weeks. We're generally not as a society geared up to that any longer. I think it's going to take a lot of people by surprise.
7: Brooke Nakora works as a skipper with Ocean Safari in Cape Tribulation.
9: We've done a bit of a uh, bit of a roll call or gathered a bit of a manifest of, of everyone that is north of uh, Daintree Ferry, so that's the Daintree Coast community. There's about 600 or so residents that usually permanently reside here, so we're just trying to work out who's here, who needs what, who has what. Uh, I would say as a bit of an average across each household, it's averaging seeming to be like about four days uh, per person with food. But that really is dictated by the amount of fuel we have up here to keep generators going, to keep power running. Definitely people are, are sort of, you know, stocked up and prepared, but not for something to this degree
7: they're taking evacuations into their own hands.
9: So Ocean Safari at the minute is currently working on a contingency plan to get our vessel straight back in the water. We had to pull it out uh, due to the impeding cyclone. So now we're working on getting that back in the water and getting that filled up with people that need to become evacuated. Uh, And then we're gonna hopefully do a return trip with diesel fuel. So we're just working together as a community to to gather 44 gallon drums that are empty, that can be used to be filled up and and hopefully keep the uh, community going for a few more days.
7: In Yorkie's knob, Dr Lee Jones is unable to access his GP clinic. So he set up a new one.
5: Um, And so we've been trying to get into our medical clinic um, to try and help as many people as we can. Uh, but the power's still out. The, the, the boat club has been sort of like a lifeboat for people in York Keys, and they've got a large generator, so they have got power. So we're, we've set ourselves up in the, um, in the yacht club to try and um, see as many people as we can, scripts. Um, non-urgent things, and of course if something comes in that's urgent, we we will be there.
7: Acts of kindness that have been applauded by Prime Minister Anthony Albanese.
5: These are the stories of which every Australian can be proud of the very essence of the Australian character that shined through. The true Australian spirit that we see time and time again.
7: Floodwaters have lifted large sheets of bitumen off the top of roads and placed them back like crumpled fabric. It's not yet clear how long the clean-up will take, but from tomorrow, further government support will be available.
5: The AGDRP is a one-off payment of $1,000 per eligible adult and $400 per eligible child who suffered a significant loss as a result of the floods, including... A severely damaged or destroyed home or a serious injury. Uh, the Disaster Recovery Allowance provides for up to 13 weeks of federal income support to assist eligible employees or sole traders who experience a loss of income as a direct result Of a major disaster.
7: Police Commissioner Katarina Carroll says there will soon be additional feet on the ground too. We are planning for substantial staff
1: to go into the far north over the next few weeks not only to continue to assist with the response but also particularly to assist with the recovery to assist community to get back on their feet to support them and to really provide that high visibility patrols into those communities as we go forth.
7: For those involved in the cleanup, new Premier Stephen Miles has a word of warning.
5: Today is not the day to wear thongs. We need enclosed shoes for everyone who could be in contact uh, with contaminated floodwaters or mud.
7: Evacuations are expected to continue tomorrow.
2: Elizabeth Cramsey reporting there. Not intentional, but unacceptable. In a shock move, the Northern Territory Chief Minister, Natasha Files, has been forced out of office for failing to declare around $2,000 worth of shares in a mining company. Ms Files insists no decision was influenced by the small shareholding, her words, but declared the honourable course of action was to resign regardless. Jane Barden reports.
4: Natasha Files never expected she'd be stepping down after just 18 months. It is clear that I have failed to meet the standards that are set for us and the standards
0: that I set for myself. And I'm not going to make any excuses for that. So for this reason, I
4: believe the honourable
0: course of action is to resign as Chief Minister.
4: She's been forced out of the top job by a series of revelations that she held shares in gas and mining companies whose projects she either pushed or protected. As Chief Minister, she's championed a major gas export hub on Darwin Harbour's middle arm and attracted $1.5 billion of federal government money to pay for it. Last month, it emerged she had 169 shares in Woodside, which helped develop a plan for the hub to have a $2 billion federal government-funded carbon capture and storage project. She denied at the time she'd done anything wrong, but then divested the shares. There is no conflict. Woodside themselves have said they are not a
0: proponent at Middle Arm and as we manage here in the Territory, a small community, we have
4: conflicts from day to day and if and when a conflict arises I certainly make sure I manage that appropriately. Then last week it was revealed one of her political advisers, Gerard Richardson, was a registered lobbyist for the Beetlew Basin Gas Company, hoping to export out of Middle Arm Tamboran Resources. Ms Files again denied she'd done anything wrong. Both sets of shares were worth just a few thousand dollars. But today she admitted she shouldn't have kept 754 shares in South 32, which runs the Gemco mine on Groot Island off Arnhem Land. As health minister, she'd refused appeals from the local indigenous community reported by the ABC in March to investigate concerns that dust from the mine coating the island could be making people sick. It became clear that I did not declare a small shareholding in a company called South 32.
0: That was an error. It was an error on my behalf and I don't have any excuse for it. It was not
4: deliberate, but it's unacceptable.
0: I can assure Territorians that no decision I've ever made has been influenced by that small shareholding.
4: Few political watchers would have thought resources projects would unseat Natasha Files. Labour had been facing more community criticism over crime and alcohol misuse. NT Independent MLA, Robin Lamley. It's a case of the Chief Minister shooting herself in the
3: foot. She has had a string of these cases of not reporting adequately and appropriately in her register of interest her potential or perceived or actual conflicts of interest. She didn't divest her shares as is required under the Northern Territory Ministerial Code of Conduct So she had nowhere to go today other than to step down.
4: Green Senator Sarah Huntson-Young helped to trigger a Senate inquiry into the controversial middle arm project. As chair of that committee, I will be calling Natasha Files to front the hearing.
7: It's not good enough for politicians to do the bidding of the gas and miners at the expense of their community and then just say, oh, nothing to see here. And the federal government should immediately scrap any public subsidies still on the books, and it is just appalling that Australian taxpayers
4: are already being committed to fork out one and a half billion dollars for the Middle Arm project. Natasha Files will leave the top job on Thursday. The remote teacher who first alerted the ABC to the Jemco Mind dust concerns, Jeff Ashman, is hoping the NT's new boss will finally investigate them. I'll be
9: again calling on who's ever in charge. We need an independent assessment in relation to the health issues on Groot Island in relation to the Manganese mine.
4: Natasha Files' deputy, the mining minister, Nicole Manison, has already put up her hand to become chief minister.
2: Jane Barden reporting. You're listening to PM with me, David Lipson. You can hear all our programs live or later on the ABC Listen app. A British lip-reading expert has been grilled on his expert evidence that Bruce Lehrman pressured Brittany Higgins to finish a drink on the night of her alleged rape. Ms Higgins has alleged she was raped inside the ministerial suite of Senator Linda Reynolds in Parliament House in 2019. Mr Lehrman is suing Network 10 and Lisa Wilkinson for defamation over the allegations after his criminal trial in the ACT collapsed due to juror misconduct, leaving no findings against him. Patrick Bell has been covering the case. Patrick, so tell us about the lip reader's evidence.
1: Well, Tim Reedy had been brought out from the United Kingdom for the last day of evidence in this defamation case, and he had prepared a report which detailed what he believes Brittany Higgins and Bruce Lehrman were saying on the CCTV footage of the Canberra pub they were at earlier on the night in question. Now, he was taken to one particular part of that report today, which was comments he believes Mr. Lehman made as the pair were leaving the venue. In his report, Mr. Reedy says that Mr. Lehman points to a drink uh, in front of Brittany Higgins and says, drink that all now. Uh, And Brittany Higgins replies in his view, I don't want to. Now, he was questioned uh, about uh, his assessment of these comments by Mr Lehman's barrister, Stephen Wybrow, who suggested that that was influenced by uh, the context of having seen earlier uh, what Mr Reedy described as Ms Higgins being plied with alcohol and Mr Lehman lining up several drinks in front of her. Mr Reedy told the court he could only go on what he had Uh, He also uh, was forced to defend his uh, ability in this field at length over his evidence this afternoon. The court heard that he, uh, in his 13 years as a forensic lip reader, has worked uh, in aid of police investigations, but also uh, even lip read some members of the Royal family uh, for the Sunday times at King Charles coronation earlier this year. And so while there is no necessarily uh, objective or particularly recognized uh, academic field of lip reading, he uh, maintained that he has a great deal of experience in this from uh, having lost his hearing at the age of four and, uh, Uh, defended uh, the report that he uh, had produced. And in doing so, he uh, made some differentiation between comments he was 100% certain of and others that he was uh, less confident of.
2: And Patrick, Linda Reynolds, former Chief of Staff Fiona Brown was again on the stand today. What did she say? Yes, Fiona Brown returned for a second day
1: of cross-examination in a closed session. The very popular live stream of this trial was cut out of concern for Ms Brown's mental health and welfare. She'd already told the court that it did enter her mind that Brittany Higgins may have been sexually assaulted when she received the reports of the security breach. She had a meeting with Bruce Lehrman and he then left the building. Today, the court heard that part of the reason Mr. Lehrman was dismissed from uh, his position in Linda Reynolds' office was for leaving Brittany Higgins in that office at the uh, early hours of the morning while she was intoxicated. Fiona Brown told the court it was a work health and safety issue. She was also pressed by Lisa Wilkinson's barrister, Sue Chrysanthu, on whether she understood Brittany Higgins to be making an allegation of assault when she told Ms Brown in a meeting that she woke to find Mr Lehman on top of her. Ms Chrysanthou suggested that she must have understood that to mean an allegation of assault, but Fiona Brown has repeated the answer she has given previously, that she was not told that uh, any activity between the pair was non-consensual and that Ms Higgins did not Uh, directly disclose uh, an allegation of assault to her. So uh, with all of that, uh, the evidence stage of the trial has concluded and the court will break tomorrow before returning for closing arguments on Thursday and Friday.
2: Patrick Bell there. Dozens of high-profile Labor figures have broken ranks with the Albanese government to accuse Israel of wanting to dominate the Palestinian people. 200 current and former politicians, including members of the New South Wales Minsk government and three federal Labor MPs, have signed a letter demanding Australia recognise Palestine as a state and re-examine its relationship with Israel. It comes as concerns have been reignited that the Israel-Hamas conflict could spread to other parts of the globe. Flint Duxfield reports.
6: Free, free Palestine! Free,
5: free Palestine! Free, free Palestine! Free, 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 Palestine. Free, in a push
2: for an end to the war in
8: Gaza, about 35 activists spent today visiting federal electorate offices across Perth. They're part of a network of Australians calling for more action from parliamentarians to stop the bloodshed in Gaza. And it appears that some of our political leaders are listening, with more than 200 current and former politicians signing a letter condemning what they describe as Israel's domination of the Palestinian people and demanding Australia. Recognise Palestine as a separate state. Among them are former Labor Foreign Ministers Bob Carr and Gareth Evans, as well as current WA Labor Senators Louise Pratt and Fatima Payman, and former Nationals member for Flynn, Ken O'Dowd.
5: Well, the Palestinians need a place to live. You know, they've lived and occupied that territory for over a thousand years, and so the, so the Israelis need a place to live. And I think that two state solution is the answer. But we cannot uh, sit on the fence and just do nothing to bring these two sides together.
8: The letter, initiated by New South Wales Labor MP Anthony de Adam and the State Greens MP Jenny Leong, accuses Israel of grossly violating human rights law with its ongoing blockade of Gaza. President of the Australia-Palestine Advocacy Network, Nasser Mashni, says he's heartened by the number of signatories, which he believes shows a disconnect between the public support for the Palestinian people and the Australian government's actions.
6: People want Palestine to be recognised. People want the siege on Gaza to end. People don't want Australia to remove any obstacle to the International Criminal Court investigating Israel and Hamas for potential war crimes. I'm at a loss to explain why Australia is sitting on the side of Israel, an oppressive, occupying and apartheid regime.
8: Israel, however, maintains its operation in Gaza is essential to rid the territory of Hamas militants who killed more than 1,200 Israelis on October 7, taking hundreds more hostage. Israeli Defence Minister Yoav Gallant says Israel is readying to transition to the next phase of operations in Gaza, in which Palestinians would likely be able to return to the north of the coastal strip.
7: We will continue to operate in different levels of intensity, and I can tell you that soon we will be able to distinguish between different areas in in gaza on bringing back local population
8: u.s defense secretary lloyd austin welcomed the move towards what he called more surgical operations in gaza whilst reiterating the united states ironclad support for israel's right to defend itself The US today also announced the expansion of its support for Israel further into the region, with the creation of a multilateral coalition to protect merchant shipping in the Red Sea. Since the start of the war, Iran-backed Houthi rebels have ramped up drone and missile attacks on civilian ships, alleged to have links to Israel. Australia is considering a US request to join the coalition, which Defence Secretary Austin says comprises 10 countries, including Canada, France, Italy and the UK.
5: These attacks are reckless, dangerous, and they violate international law. And so we're taking action to uh, build an international coalition to address this threat. And I would remind you that this is not just a US issue. This is an international problem, and it deserves an international uh, response.
8: But securing an international response to the conflict in Gaza seems a far more difficult affair. Today, the UN Security Council delayed a vote on a resolution calling for the end of hostilities in Gaza, with the US
2: unwilling to agree on the wording of the statement. Flint Duxfield and Isabel Massali reporting there. Well, the federal government has rejected a request by health insurance companies to increase their premiums by another 6% in what would have been the biggest rise in six years. It is a glimmer of good news for Australians struggling with cost of living pressures, but health funds say the increase was an attempt to keep up with soaring inflation in the healthcare industry. Kimberly Price has this report.
10: On the streets of Melbourne, cost of living pressures are on people's minds. And the possibility of another health insurance hike is yet another worry. Well, the time when we set it up, it was made a lot of financial sense. And now
7: that I'm getting older, I'm actually finding it quite useful. Yes, it's expensive. It's definitely an expense that is noticeable. But on that hand, given the support that I can get out of it,
0: I think it's reasonable.
6: I think from what we've seen in the recent past, is that even though they might push back on a premium increase, that the people issuing the premiums or the policies will actually raise future rates even faster and higher than they were before.
10: Over half of all Australians have private health insurance and the government has the power to reject premium increases. It's just knocked back a 6% hike suggested by the industry. Health Minister Mark Butler says it's his responsibility to ensure that any premium increase is justified and proportionate. And amid the cost of living crisis, a 6% health insurance premium increase is not. The CEO of Private Healthcare Australia is Dr Rachel David.
3: The health funds do not want to put up premiums by a single dollar.
10: Private Healthcare Australia represents the country's insurers and Rachel David says the proposed hike stems from increasing healthcare costs.
3: So last year, um, the cost of providing hospital care went up um, because the cost of recruitment, wages, power and food went up and the level of health inflation over that period was
10: 5.9%. So that's where the 6% comes from. After rejecting the 6% rise, Mr Butler wrote to every health insurer to put forward a more reasonable figure. In comparison, health insurance premiums rose by 2.7% in both 2021 and 2022 and 2.9% in 2023. But industry experts such as Rachel David believe consumers could be in store for a greater increase this year. It is
3: absolutely inevitable that there will be some premium increase next year but the, the, the quantum of that increase or the extent of that increase is still being negotiated and I don't think it will be anything like 6%.
10: While health insurers will go back to the drawing board, internal savings and carryover claims from COVID will play a role in determining what premiums are suggested. Dr. David says the removal of historically regulatory barriers to healthcare can decrease premium increases further. The big one there
3: is the regulated overpricing of commonly used medical devices and surgical supplies.
10: Melissa Le is a Consumer Health Forum of Australia Advocacy and Engagement Director and says for consumers the government rejection is a welcome one.
3: Given the current cost of living pressures, we think most consumers would find that unpalatable and we agree the government should push back.
10: Many consumers are being forced to make tough choices. What we are hearing
3: from ordinary Australians is that they're having to choose between paying for food or housing, whether that's the mortgage or the rent, or they can choose to pay for their healthcare. That's an insidious position to be in.
10: Ms LeMessio says people will need to reassess their health insurance and the additional costs that come with it. Paying your health insurance
3: premium is just the start. Quite often there's considerable out-of-pocket costs as well, so that all factors in to whether people keep their insurance or not. My clear plea on behalf of um, health consumers is to keep it as a lower rate increase as possible People don't want to have to sacrifice their health for other cost-of-living pressures.
2: That's Consumer Health Forum's Melissa Lee Major, ending Kimberly Price's report. That's all we've got time for this edition of PM. I'm David Lipson. You can find all our interviews and reports on the PM webpage. Sabra Lane will have AM for you in the morning. Till then, good night.